Hello folks, it's Gould here. Uh, This is just a quick reminder to make sure that you check the show notes for spoiler and content warnings ahead of this first of our top 10 episodes. Um, Because yeah, you're definitely going to want to do that. There's some, there's some spoilers in here. Um, Enjoy the episode. Bye. to the Unbreakable Movie Chain, the podcast where usually we uh, review and discuss a film based on a link to the previous movie. However, you are joining us on one of our off weeks um, where we're not going to talk about a particular film. We're instead going to take you through our top 10. Uh, we've got a massive great big list of all our various top 10 options. So um, there's all sorts of different categories on there. Performances, movies, soundtracks, all sorts. This week, however, for our first week of our top 10 special, Ed, what are we covering? So this week we're going to be uh, covering our all-time favourite screen performances. And I'm leaning very heavily on the word favourite because I believe that the concept of a best screen performance is a nonsense. All of these things are so subjective and so personal and there may be some raised eyebrows at some of our selections but that's fine because they are our favourite screen performances. And the point of this is not to tell you these are the greatest performances ever made and there's no argument. These are so that you can start having to think about what maybe your top 10 favourite performances are. And we will do a massive great big caveat to say these will change. I mean, Ed, how many were on your shortlist? Uh, 40, 40 something. I know for a fact that there are many that I have forgotten about that are just not on this list. I, it's one of those things when you... you sit down to make a list of your favourite of anything, all of the options just fly out of your head. So I've spent yeah. the last week trying to put this list together. I had to look at prompts. I had to have a look at um, all the different like streaming options to go like, okay, are there any of films in here that have my favourite performance in? And I also had to look at like the Empire 500, the BFI. I looked at all of these different lists of the greatest films, the greatest performances, because I just couldn't remember. And also, favourite screen performances. What a fucking broad. <laughs> so broad. Why did we yeah, do this to ourselves for the first week? <laughs> <laughs> It, it all came from a conversation that we had where I said what my favourite screen performance was of all time and then it sort of led naturally on from that and so we thought this was probably the best first one to do. Absolutely. Well, let's get straight into it, Ed. I, um, I'd i like to know what your number 10 is, first of all. Excellent. So... I can't wait for this, Ed. I can't wait to find out what your <laughs> list is. <laughs> so my, uh, my number 10 favourite screen performance is Samuel L. Jackson as Stephen in Django Unchained. One word of sass, they cuts out your tongue. They good at it too. You won't bleed out. Oh, they does that real good. And I, I, I love that performance. It's such an atypical performance for Samuel L. Jackson, because you think of you think of Samuel L. Jackson and his biggest strength as an actor is his facility with language. I would say you think of those big speeches he has in things like Pulp Fiction, and uh, and Jackie Brown as well. Is that sort of charisma and that that facility with language that he has is incredible but in this performance it's not about that Mm. in this performance he's got he makes a a full transformation he's got a a completely different physicality which isn't something that we see samuel l jackson do 
very often. Usually, when somebody hires Samuel L. Jackson, they hire him because that's the actor that they want. You know, that's the performance that they want. Uh, they want a Samuel L. Jackson performance. In this, he's a shuffling, sinister old man who doesn't have very much to say. Everything he does is with those intense eyes and he's genuinely terrifying. Yeah, he is. It's chilling, isn't it? Really? Yeah, chilling. Chilling, as um, I'm, I'm not sure really how to describe him. And he's fiercely protective of his position. And he does not want his position usurped by anyone. And he is fiercely loyal to his monstrous owner, for want of a better word, uh, in Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, and yeah, I think I think Samuel L. Jackson is just brilliant in this, doing something that we've never seen him do before. And for that reason, it is my number 10. I've, I've been a bit down on Samuel L. Jackson of, of, Interesting. Of, in recent years. He's kind of gone down in my estimation. So, um, Is there a reason for that? Um, I think I just don't think he's particularly interesting. I think because I think of him as being the same in everything. But that isn't necessarily his fault. Maybe that is that thing like you were talking about, like when people want a Samuel L. Jackson type, they get Samuel L. Jackson and it kind of doesn't yeah. give him much room to stretch his legs yeah it's definitely worth me watching again yes uh, so what's your number 10 my number 10 uh, it's one of my absolute favorite films of all time uh, it is the exquisite gene kelly in singing in the rain alina you've been reading those fan magazines again i try to get this straight there is nothing between us there has never been anything between us just air. Lovely. <laughs> it's just beautiful. It's so um, Don Lockwood. It's one of the, like, his dancing is incredible. His singing is beautiful. But it is so funny. <laughs> I think I remember the first time I saw Singing in the Rain, I, was, I wasn't expecting something that was so kind of layered. Because... Mm-hmm. It is a romance. It is a big song and dance thing, but it is also it's a mass. It's a really funny kind of satire of Hollywood and the Hollywood system and how movies are made. And it's it's really funny. Um, he is totally magnetic on screen. You can't take your eyes off him. And um, yeah, that's my that's my number ten. I actually haven't seen Singing in the Rain. No, one of those blind spots. Um, yeah, it kind. It's one of those films where it isn't what you think it's going to be somehow but but this because it's sort of set in hollywood and the making of films is kind of part of it it, it's just really funny and it's full of great performances and it's just it's just fantastic and i mean even if you don't watch the whole film which you should because it's great but even if you don't watch the whole film just watch the dance numbers on youtube because uh, particularly i mean so gene kelly is my favorite performance but um donald o'connor is one of my favorite performers he's a um He's the most incredible dancer. And he, particularly in Singing in the Rain, he's very famous for doing the make him laugh sequence, which is where he um, he runs up the wall and all that kind of stuff. It's incredible. And apparently he smoked like 70 cigarettes a day and had to lie in bed for three days after he filmed that scene. And, you know, Gene Kelly, but Gene Kelly choreographed the whole thing as well. So he was a he was multi-talented, incredible, kind of auteur almost. Um and he's just got lovely twinkly eyes. Uh, yeah, I've seen clips. Uh, yeah, seen clips of various bits of it, but I've never sat down and watched the whole thing. So yeah, I, I do need to do that. Yeah. So that's my number ten. Ed, bring us on to your number nine. Right. So um, my number nine, interestingly, um, sort of going going next to uh, your Gene Kelly and singing in the rain. My number nine is. Uh, Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins in Mary Poppins. First of all, I would like to make one thing quite clear. Yes. I never explain anything. I wouldn't in a million years have 
predicted that that would be on your list. I bloody love that film. And I think she's just wonderful. She's got everything in it. She's there's there's a sort of a severity to the character that that just has so much warmth coming through it that sort of really offsets that um that very prim don't mess with me aspect that she's got she's so she's funny as well so funny she refers to herself all the time and it is practically perfect in every way and that is the performance that she gives there is a perfection to it when you hear those songs when she sings uh, feed the birds such a perfection to her articulation in that song everything she does in it is just so and i love emily blunt when i saw mary poppins returns oh yeah okay you're fine but this ain't mary poppins it ain't julie <laughs> it ain't julie andrews for all of the sort of uh, criticisms that are directed at various things in that film i do think it's it's just a perfect bit of sunday afternoon family entertainment i love i love i love dick van dyke in it in both his roles i love bert the chimney sweep and i love him as the old man at the bank oh god the old man at the bank scared the <laughs> fuck out of me when I was a kid yeah I haven't seen Mary Poppins since I was very very little because my memory of Mary Poppins is the day after my dad's wedding I sat and watched Mary Poppins and ate all of the sugared almonds that they'd had left over from the table favors and I made myself sick so I associate Mary Poppins with being sick on sugared almonds (laughs) oh god Well, I'll tell you what, it will definitely be on TV over Christmas. It always is. Yeah. So, yeah, when we get to Christmas, watch it and you'll yeah. have a lovely time, I promise. It's, yeah, it's just, it's okay. wonderful. And and Julie Andrews is the absolute centre of it, the absolute heart of it. And she's, yeah, just practically perfect in every way. What's your number nine? My number nine is uh, my favourite sweary guy. It's Peter Capaldi as Malcolm Tucker in In The Loop. We've got to plug that leak. I don't know what else they've got. And where's this intel? Are you sure you're working as hard as me? Because I'm sweating spinal fluid here. I'm a fucking husk. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, I think that Malcolm Tucker is one of the greatest characters played to perfection by Peter Capaldi. Mm-hmm. It, for, for a performance that at times is so explosive, it's so controlled. And there's a particular look that he gets over his face that is the proper you're in trouble look. And mm. I just think it's it's incredible because if you told somebody that they needed to try and make that face, it would be cartoonish and terrible. But he is so controlled and so he knows exactly how to like ride that script and get every last bit out of it. And let's, you know, I'm not going to try and pretend that it's all him. It is the most brilliant script as well. It's so good. Malcolm Tucker is such a wonderful creation, but I, I know that a lot of his dialogue is also improvised. So he mm-hmm. does a lot to create that character as well. And he's one of those people who he's terrifying, but I really want Malcolm Tucker to lay into me. If I <laughs> Like if I ever had the privilege to meet Peter Capaldi, I would really want him to just improvise tearing me to shreds and I'd die happy. <laughs> I, I bet people ask him to do that. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. He has some of the best lines ever and he's just, he's, he's, it's just perfect. I don't want to talk about it too much because I, there is no, like I, I, he's so quotable. Yeah. I actually, I do quite a lot of embroideries um, of Malcolm Tucker quotes with Mm. like really beautiful, um, like sort of floral, quite chintzy designs, but then with a really sweary Malcolm Tucker quote. Um, (laughs) And... (laughs) 
Um, so yeah, I, I don't want to bang on too much about it because I can't, I wouldn't be able to do justice to how wonderful his performance is. So please just go away and watch In the Loop and have a mm. wonderful time. Um, and if you've not seen uh, The Thick of It, watch that as well because In the Loop's all right, but The the Thick of It is just, just brilliant. I mean, to be fair, I have kind of cheated there because, I mean, it, it, obviously In the Loop is a film. It's a very successful film. It's a really good film. And obviously Peter Capaldi is fantastic in it. But really, my true, true love is is The Thick of It, which is, I think, the greatest thing ever made for television. Do you have a favourite Malcolm Tucker moment? I've got a favourite Malcolm Tucker moment. Oh, my God, there are so many. Um, I think it's probably where he's trying to explain, he's trying to remember what Star Wars is. Yes, that's mine. Is it the same one? Yeah. <laughs> What's that film that you love? What film? The one about the fucking hairdresser, the space hairdresser and the cowboy. The guy's, he's got a tinfoil pal and a pedal bin. His father's a robot and he's fucking fucked his sister. Lego. They're all made of fucking Lego. Star Wars. That's the one, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Um, <laughs> so yeah, anybody who's not seen the thick of it, please do watch it because it's uh-huh. just brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, oh, I'm glad that's yeah. your favourite moment. It's mine too. <laughs> um, Ed, what's your number eight? Um, my number eight is Jack Lemon as Jerry in Some Like It Hot. Have I got things to tell you? What happened? I'm engaged. Congratulations. Who's the lucky girl? I am. I mean, it, what to say about it? I mean, Tony Curtis is great as well, to be fair. The pair of them are just... They, they, they doll up quite nicely um, in, in their dresses as part of this all-lady jazz band. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's Jack Lemmon who steals the show for me. He's just, he's just so funny as the sort of, sort, of, sort of lower status, slightly sort of cantankerous, slightly hapless one who ends up, um, <laughs> who ends up being <laughs> wined and dined by a, by a, a, a millionaire. Um, <laughs> it's as he is pursued by this millionaire it's pursued so relentlessly by this millionaire and he he goes off with the millionaire at the end and he's like but I'm not a woman the millionaire just goes eh, nobody's perfect <laughs> <laughs> while, while Tony Curtis gets the hangout with Marilyn Monroe it's so interesting Ed because if I um, my favourite performance in Some Like It Hot mm-hmm. is Tony Curtis yeah oh he's brilliant too We've we've come down on different sides of the fence. It's just, I think Tony Curtis's performance is just slightly more to my taste, but I absolutely understand. Yeah, Jack Lemmon. I mean, he's just he's so wonderful. Yeah, I think the reason I come down on on the Jack Lemmon side is just because I've got a, a natural inclination towards um, sort of character actors and supporting actors mm, over mm. over the leading guy. But yeah, that's not to take anything away from Tony Curtis, who is absolutely brilliant in that film, as is Marilyn Monroe. To be fair, yeah, the three of them are just sublime and. They absolutely all of their performances are bolstered by the performances of the other people. Like it is such an ensemble. Like you, I just maybe this is a, a completely inaccurate. Maybe it wasn't like this at all. But I feel like they're working as a unit. Yes, and it's beautiful. Yes, that makes me really happy. <laughs> Yay! What's your number eight? My number eight is um, it's a recent addition to my favourite performances, and it's a film I recently had a run of erotic thrillers. Uh, it is Kathleen Turner in Body Heat. My temperature runs a couple of degrees high, around a hundred. I don't mind. It's the engine or something. Maybe you need a tune-up. Don't tell me. You have just the right tool. <laughs> have you seen it, Ed? I'm not sure that I have. Even in my uh, sort of teenage late night Channel 5 years, I don't think I saw Body Heat. 
it's great. It's really great. It's a wonderful performance. She's completely iconic in it. And she's, it's, I think it's like her leading role debut. It's like, a, it's really early in her screen career. It is a wonderful, it's such a fabulous performance because it kind of, crystallizes the idea of a femme fatale building on what has gone before but it also lays the groundwork for everything that's going to come after it um in the 90s particularly with the erotic thrillers so i mean my god without without her would we have sharon stone i don't know that we would it's so wonderful there is a particular scene where she's standing in the house just waiting for him with the lights on and he's trying to get into the house and she isn't going to open the door for him. She's just waiting for him to break in, to come and take her. It's just fucking great. It's gold. She's amazing. There is so much going on behind her eyes. There is so much going on. It's such a layered performance. Ho- hopefully we'll uh, get a chance to talk about it at some point on the podcast. Yeah. I'd, yes. I'd love to watch it at some point. Yeah. <gasps> Coming to number seven. Do, 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 do. Ed. So my number seven on my list is Tom Hanks as Josh in Big. Do you mean sleepover? Well, yeah. Okay. But I get to be on top. It's one of those films that if it's on TV, I will watch it. It's just, it, yeah, it's just brilliant. And he, it's it's such a difficult thing to do um, to sort of believably be a teenage boy in a man's body. And I just, I just believe every moment of that performance. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so joyful to watch in every moment. There's, there are times when he, there are times when he breaks your heart. Like when he, when he goes back to his mum and, and like he's trying to tell her that, that it's him and she just freaks out, obviously, because she, her son is missing and there's this adult man in her kitchen. Um, yeah. and he, he doesn't know how to deal with it. So he just, he has to get out of there. Um, or, you know, just the really beautiful moments that he's got with, um, oh, I forget what, what she's called, what her name what is. What the hell is she called? What is, what is her name and what is her character's name? I can't she's remember. She's great as well. Uh, Elizabeth Perkins. Ah, yes. Yeah, of course. And the character is Susan. Yeah. So all, all that, all that stuff in, in their relationship, which is, it's, it's a weird relationship. But that, that kind of innocence and naivety that he has, that she doesn't quite know how to deal with, um, is wonderful. And then there's all this stuff with him and Robert Lozier dancing on the piano, which is oh. iconic. It's a wonderful film and it, it hinges on that, that beautiful performance that Tom Hanks gives that is, that is so sort of warm and vulnerable and innocent and naive. All that stuff that he later won Oscars for as Forrest Gump mm. is, is there in big in ways that I connect to much more strongly than I do anything in Forrest Gump. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. It's such a skilled performance and there are so many moments. I mean, and the film is quite daft. Oh, yeah. The way that the film is so successful is because his performance is so mature, which I know that's, <laughs> that sounds like a strange thing to say because he's playing a teenager, but beautiful. Yeah, great. An amazing choice, Ed. That's a really cracking choice. Uh, yeah. So uh, what's your number seven? <laughs> I really struggled with this one about whether to put it on or not, but I just was like, no, fuck it. I'm going to be honest. Mm. It's Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. (laughs) Anybody hear that? It's a, um, it's an impact tremor is what it is. I'm fairly alarmed here. 
He's on my shortlist. Oh, Ed! Yes! Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park is on my shortlist. <laughs> oh my God, he's just wonderful. He's so great. I mean, fucking hell, what can we say about it? Just honestly, like, I, I want, like, uh, uh, it's so not a performance that you would anticipate being in, like, a science film. Sure. <laughs> and I almost, I, I, I kind of knew that I wanted Jeff Goldblum on my list, and I almost went for his role in The Fly. But mm-hmm. then I thought, no, do you know what? I'd rather watch Dr. Malcolm. Was his performance in Independence Day in, in your consideration? No, it didn't occur to me. But now that you've said it, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's great. When I was little, he was a real heartthrob for me, Jeff Goldblum. And I think that's probably why his performance in Jurassic Park has kind of made it onto my list because he it just it really um I don't know it's just him lying there shirtless with his shirt open <laughs> on the table like oh Jeff which is weird because he's such a weirdo oh yeah that's part of the appeal isn't it I don't really know what else to say about it I kind of can't explain why it's so great it just is oh I absolutely agree it's, it's so like he is a singular actor there is nobody else who could do a Jeff Goblin performance and it almost always is a Jeff Goldblum performance because he's got such a sort of idiosyncratic way of talking and phrasing things um, and being. He, Yeah, I think I, I put him in a category, the same category as Christopher Walken. Nobody else could give a Christopher Walken performance, you know, and yeah, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum's the same way. Yeah, no, I love it. Absolutely love it. And that was on Bosh. my shortlist. Amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> uh, let's see if there's any other crossovers as we move on to number six, Ed. So my number six is... Frances McDormand as Marge Gunderson in Fargo. Hey, they said they were going to the Twin Cities. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, is that useful to you? Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. She's on my shortlist. You betcha. (laughs) Oh, you You, betcha. Oh, you betcha. (laughs) (laughs) Again, she's just, she's so warm and so funny. And there's that, it's, it's, it's a real, it's a real interesting sort of juxtaposition between this sort of sweet home on the prairie kind of character who also has a bit of steel to her. She's a little bit badass Mm. um, at the same time. She knows what she's doing. You wouldn't mess with her, even though she's not, you know, she's not entirely sure of herself all the time because she's dealing with stuff that she never thought that she would have to deal with all while being very heavily pregnant it's so disarming like the way that she's kind of like waddling around and because she's so little and so pregnant and crunching about in the snow and she's all togged up but then she's just so yeah there's this kind of cold clinical side to her and she's so canny and she's Mm -hmm. clearly just extremely skilled at her job as well yeah she's great she's a proper a proper hero yes I think the reason she didn't make it onto my final list is because I do think that she's absolutely fantastic in it but I think that the I don't feel like her performance necessarily stands out from anyone else in the film I mean what I mean by that is everyone is so fucking great the whole film is so brilliant everyone is so good in it and I just I feel like I kind of yeah I just I couldn't quite separate her from just the really high quality of everyone in that film so um, but yeah, she she was she was on my shortlist for sure. Excellent. Go on and give me a six. Um, it's Hugh Grant in Sense and Sensibility. Margaret has always wanted to travel. I know she's uh, heading an expedition to China shortly. I am to go as her servant, but only on the understanding that I will be very badly treated. It's like Hugh Jackman 2.0. It's so uh, not Hugh Jackman. Who, who am I talking about? Hugh Grant, you were talking about, yeah. Sorry, what the fuck am I going on about? <laughs> it's like it's like essence of Hugh Grant. 
<laughs> so Hugh Grant. He's perfect in it. He's so funny. Without really doing very much, it's a really warm, funny, endearing, sweet performance. Um, without going over the top, without being too awkward. It's like peak Hugh Grant, but you can't take the piss out of it. He's almost taking the piss out of himself. It's just, it's a fucking beautiful performance. And again, in a film filled with beautiful performances, everyone's fantastic in it. But he just, it just really brings me joy. It really, really brings me joy, particularly. Um, I don't necessarily think that it's better than any of his other roles. I don't think it's better than anyone else in the film. I just love his, I love it. It it means a lot to me. So, um, and it's just extremely romantic. There is the overblown romance of one of the relationships. And then this is the kind of, quiet subtle more grounded in truth romance and it's really uh, it touches my heart ed yeah no he, hugh grant was on my shortlist in a different role what um, what role uh, oh paddington 2 <laughs> which is just joyful <laughs> i've not i've only seen paddington i haven't seen paddington 2 oh my goodness we must it, it's we must. ever so good yeah, yeah um but yeah. yeah no i've not seen sense and sensibility um as as i was saying to you previously uh when i see the period costumes from 150 200 years ago i just i glaze over i mean the thing about it is i would say you know a jane austen adaptation Mm -hmm. you're always going to get quality because it's a jane austen adaptation and while i don't know if sense and sensibility is my favorite of her books it's Mm -hmm. the best adaptation because actually um i stuck it on the other day not the other day I mean it was ages ago but and Richard came and sat down to watch it with me mm. and he absolutely loved it and that I didn't I didn't think he would it is absolutely it couldn't be further from his cup of tea but it's so funny that's good I did I did quite enjoy Pride and Prejudice with Matthew McFadden. I love that. I really, I think that's a fantastic adaptation. Um, but Sense and Sensibility is for me peak, peak Jane Austen adaptation because it it brings the soul of the book to the screen so well. Everyone's so good, and it's um, it yeah, like I say, it it's the funniest. It's the funniest mm. of all the adaptations, and Jane Austen is so funny. Who who else is in it? So it's uh, Emma Thompson. Um, she also wrote the screenplay and won an Oscar for her screenplay. Oh, wow. It's Kate Winslet, Hugh Laurie, Imelda Staunton, Alan Rickman. Greg Wise is Willoughby, the kind of scoundrel oh, romancer guy. I think actually that's the that's the film that Emma Thompson and Greg Wise met on and then they got married. Amazing. Um, Harriet Walter. I often get Harriet Walter and Fiona Shaw mixed up. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll check it out, I promise. <laughs> diddle-do, diddle-do, diddle-do. Who's your number five? So number five on my list. Um, this is actually a performance that my wife reminded me of. And it's Michael Clark Duncan in The Green Mile as John Coffey. Like the drink, only not spelt the same. Mostly I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. I'm tired of all the pain I feel in here in the world every day. There's too much of it. It's like pieces of glass in my head. All the time. Can you understand? I was actually present for the moment that you remembered this performance. (laughs) (laughs) How how would you describe my reaction? Wonder and awe and just pure love for your wife and her genius. And um, a slight kind of slap of the forehead. Why didn't I think of that? Regret. Uh-huh. Yeah, all of that. <laughs> it was a it was a beautiful, beautiful mix. <laughs> yeah. so. uh, to be fair, it is a performance that fills me with wonder and awe. Have you seen The Green Mile? 
I have seen The Green Mile once, a long time ago. I'll never be able to watch it again because I was so upset. Sure. It, well, yeah, exactly. Exactly that. It is so upsetting. It is so heartbreaking. And it all comes down, really, to that hulking, towering, enormous man at the centre of it, John Coffey. So the sort of the subtext of it is that he really is given these powers by God. I think is really the the subtext of it and they're so conflicted at the end when they have to when they have to pull the lever and execute him which shouldn't be a spoiler for anybody listening because it 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 is it's a foregone conclusion that's the whole point is that he is this wonderful magic man who is there condemned to die for a crime that he didn't commit and it's cemented halfway through the film that he didn't commit it again like I like I was talking about with uh, with Tom Hanks a minute ago just this innocence and naivety he, he, he's just he's just so wonderful he, and you're just you're drawn to him throughout his performance and I I, I can't really say too much about it other than mm. I just I love that film and it would be nothing without that performance at the mm. centre of it and there are great performances around it I'm thinking I mean well Tom Hanks is great um, everybody in that cast is fantastic Sam Rockwell's great um, oh the the Oh, what's his what's his name? The actor who was uh, Tombs in the X Files yeah, shows up. I was oh, just going to say him. Fucking repugnant little shit of a girl. Has there has there ever been an actor more repulsive than oh, that man? And I don't mean that, in as, that him as a person. He <laughs> is just supremely good at playing the most loathsome. Yeah. Oh God! Yeah, and actually, I, um, mm. what's the name of the character with the mouse? Oh, again, we're not going too much into spoilers, but everything that happens with that character is uh, that is the thing that I found too upsetting. Uh, yeah, Edward Delacroix, played by Michael Jeter, and uh, we'll give him a little shout out for being just one of the most repugnant characters ever to grace the screen. Doug Hutchinson uh, for playing. Percy Wetmore. Maybe one day when we come along to movie villains, we might end up oh, touching on him. <laughs> if he doesn't end up on my top ten list of that, then something's gone. <laughs> something's gone wrong for a lot of people in a lot of other movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you almost make me want to go and watch it, Ed, but I can't because I'll be too upset. <laughs> yeah. does this mean i'm never allowed to introduce it to the podcast (laughs) i will only ever watch it if you introduce it to the podcast okay um but and again this is not because i don't think it's good i think it's Mm -hmm. fantastic but it just upsets me so much um so yeah um awesome brilliant excellent all right so what's your number five my number five tone shift from you um Mm -hmm. it is one of my favorite films of all time ever um it's an absolute masterpiece it's uh, mandy patinkin as Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die! Now! Offer me money. Yes. Power to promise me that. All that I have and more. Please. Offer me everything I ask for. Anything you want. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Yay! I was really torn because I almost went Carrie Elwes, but then I started thinking about all the performances in that film yeah. and they're all so wonderful. I mean, mm-hmm. but Inigo Montoya and Mandy Patinkin's performance in it has a special place in my heart. Oh, yes. He is suave. He is funny. He is really moving. He has a real kind of sincerity, honesty, openness to him in his character. His final fight scene with um, Thingy. Mm-hmm. Oh God! What's he called? Um, <laughs> there will be people. Sc- 
screaming at us right now. Uh, just uh, 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 if you could just scream a little louder, listeners, so I can actually hear you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Six Fingered Man, his final showdown with him. It's so wonderful. He's so what's he called? Fucking thing. Thing. Uh, oh, Ca- Count Count Rusian. Christopher Guest. Christopher Guest. That's who I mean. I'm so sorry, everyone. It's very hot under my duvet, <laughs> which is why <laughs> I, I'm going to blame that. But yeah, um, Mandy Patinkin. He's just he's so um, in a in a role that is very comic, and he brings out the comedy in it so beautifully but he does also treat the serious moments with real respect he properly does it he plays it completely straight and that makes his performance even better and he's quite attractive and I like his sword <laughs> he, he also has one of the all time great catchphrases of uh, he does of anything really um, yeah. <laughs> have you heard what's that thing it, it's a business thing where it's like okay how to introduce yourself greet say your name state like something about state connection to person you're meeting uh-huh. and then state intention That's it's it, an, yeah. it's Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I've never, yeah, I've never, I've never heard that before. But that is the exact structure of that catchphrase. I also love his line where he says, "It's when um, Vizzini keeps saying inconceivable," and he goes, "You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means." <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm very much looking forward to one day when we get to chat about the Princess Bride. I know it's we, just um, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, yeah, so that's my number five. God, we're getting close now, Ed. We we're are. now in the second half. Who's your number four? So, um, yeah, this one is uh, one of the sort of big Hollywood heavy hitters. Um, one of my all-time favourite movies. We've got Humphrey Bogart as Rick Blaine in Casablanca. Of all the gin joints and all the towns and all the world. She walks into mine. I just, I love it. Like, actually, even before I'd seen Casablanca, without knowing it, I think I spent a lot of my life trying to emulate Rick and Casablanca. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then after I saw it, I, was, I just, yeah, he's just, there's that, that world-weary cynicism, while at the same time being incredibly cool. He ultimately does the right thing, despite his protestations throughout the film, that he, he sticks his neck out for no man. He is one of the most quotable characters in cinema mm. history, and the, the whole look of, like, just that, just pure charisma that comes off mm. Humphrey Bogart is extraordinary. He's, mm. he's a, a screen icon for a reason, and it, it's a performance that does again it does everything that i that i need a leading man performance to do it's kind of yeah it's peak bogart of one oh, of yeah. the big one of the greatest screen icons of all time and this is him at his absolute best if you've not seen casablanca what are you doing honestly what on earth are you doing and i don't really have much else to say about it beyond that fair dues unless you've got anything to add no he's great Watch it, for God's sake. I was going to say, stop the podcast and go away and go away and watch Casablanca. No, listen to the end of the podcast. My number four is Please. very different. And now I really struggled. I had four different films written down for this one actor. But ultimately, uh, I had to go with this one because I think it's fucking, it's just amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Gary Oldman in Leon. I like these calm little moments before the storm. It reminds me of Beethoven. Oh, yeah. What an interesting choice. Yeah. It's magnificent. It's an actor taking a character and going absolutely health for leather for it. Like, he he, he just... Mm. 
he rips the scenery down with this yes. role. He's absolutely explosive. He's completely off the chain. But it's totally, it's perfect. It is, it's so well judged. It's that particular shot of him from above where he takes the pill. Yeah, that's the one that I'm thinking of in my head, yeah. He does that weird sort of thing with his... He does a neck yeah. thing and it's so weird, but I ju- it's mesmerising. I think he's one of the greatest villains mm-hmm. in cinema. I think it's one of the greatest performances. He's just, he's absolutely perfect. I'm now considering... I'm trying to, in thinking about it, I'm like, oh, fuck, do I need to move this higher up my list? But it's too late now. It's number four. <laughs> maybe next year. Um, if we revisit, if we, if we revisit this revisit, category, yeah. maybe I'll move it. But um, yeah, I just, I can't think of anything. He's so frightening. I think it's one of those performances where, in a film that's very good, every time he's on screen, he lights it up. I just, I'm desperate for more of him. But I think in the film, we get exactly the right amount. So yes. it's one of those perfect things. Yeah, it is. It is. And you, you're right. Um, that it's it, we get just the right amount of him. Like it's one, it's one of those performances that if we got much more of, it would really overbalance the film. Love it. Nice. <laughs> oh, we're into the top three. Yes, we are. So my number three is Annette Benning as Carolyn Burnham in American Beauty. No, I'm glad because uh, because you're old enough now to learn the most important lesson in life. You cannot count. On anyone except yourself. <sighs> you cannot count on anyone except yourself. <gasps> she was almost on my list. Oh, really? Amazing. <laughs> yes, she was on my short list. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Amazing. I'm. So, yeah, that makes me really happy. I just think she's great. It's that... that <laughs> she's so, so uptight. Mm. It's absolutely hilarious. And there's that wonderful scene where she's cleaning the house. And she's cleaning I the will window. sell this, this house, house today. today. <laughs> I will sell this house today. <laughs> and everything is so precise and specific in what she's doing. It's We've both been watching a lot of Frasier, haven't we? Yes. And a lot of the guest actors they cast in Frasier have mm. um, a real sort of theatre background. Annette Benning, I think, is the same way. And you can really tell in the specificity yeah. of every movement, her physical specificity, you get you can you can tell that she's rooted in theatre, and yeah, it's it's ju- it's just just wonderful. And yeah, when she's trying to sell that house, and then she doesn't, she just has that breakdown. Oh, there's that <laughs> that, that thing where she's just slapping and her, slapping herself in the face. It's it's so so good. For a long time, that that was my favourite movie, and I would watch it at least once a year because I think the screenplay is brilliant. I love the way it's shot. I think all of the performances are brilliant. I love Chris Cooper in it. Alison Janney is the the completely out of it mother next door. It's a great film. My God, Annette Benning just yeah, she's sublime. She in it. yes, that's the word. Yeah, she's sublime. <laughs> okay, uh, what's your number three? Now, uh, number three. Let's see if you can work out who it is based on a couple of key lines. <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm going to cut your heart out with a spoon. <laughs> it is the just oh, mouth-watering Alan Rickman as the Sheriff of Nottingham in Robin uh-huh. Hood. Prince sure. of Thieves. <laughs> <laughs> That's it then. Cancel the kitchen scraps for lepers and orphans. No more merciful beheadings. And call off Christmas. He's just so great. That yeah. film would be nothing without him. Oh, yeah. And it's my favourite Alan Rickman performance because, again, it's that thing. I I think I really enjoy performances in an otherwise slightly po-faced film that mm-hmm. are really extra. <laughs> 
just yes. like someone just going fucking all over it. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine that film without Alan Rickman's performance? It would be so boring, so dreary. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're ever interested, there is a really um a fairly bog standard behind the scenes documentary that was made at the time for Robin mm. Hood Prince of Thieves. The reason it's worth watching is because it's it's hosted in the in one of the strangest screen like appearances I've ever seen by Pierce Brosnan. Oh wow. <laughs> it's it's just mesmerizing to watch. He's so weird in it. <laughs> How highly recommend highly recommend hopefully it's on youtube um but yeah um anyway yeah alan rickman i mean i could have picked any number of alan rickman performances die hard he's again sense and sensibility he's fabulous in that there's loads but it was it's just it, this performance brings me joy this performance is what brings me back time and time and time again to robin hood prince of thieves but he's just fantastic in it i love him I don't know what else to say. I remember reading after he died, because he, he was very close friends with Ruby Wax. Oh, yeah. She talked about how when he got the script for Prince of Thieves, they just sat in a restaurant together trying to just beef it up and, and put just loads of stuff in to try and make it something. Um, yeah. And yeah, he'd just sort of show up on set and be like, okay, yeah, so I kind of want to do this and say this. And the director would be like, yeah, all right, got him. It's all the little bits where he like, there's loads of bits where he like gets his coat stuck in the door, but he's so scrappy. Yes. He's brilliant. It's he's great. Wonderful. It brings me joy. <laughs> brings me joy. Right, we're nearly there, Ed. Number two. Tell me. So number two on my list is Robert Duvall as Tom Hagen in The Godfather, parts one and two. Now nobody has ever gunned down a New York police captain, never. It would be disastrous. All the five families would come after you, Sonny. The Corleone family would be outcast. Even the old man's political protection would run for cover. So do me a favor. Take this into consideration. Yeah, and when I when I was doing my shortlist for this, there are so many performances from The Godfather that are on my shortlist. I've got Pacino on there. I've got John Cazale, Dan Keaton on there. They're all on my shortlist. But the one that has always I've always, I've always been drawn to is the Quiet Man in the background who sort of just makes everything work it's robert duvall there there are there are two scenes that stick in my mind of of his performance uh the first is the scene where he goes and has the conversation with the film producer before putting the horse's head in the bed yeah and it's like there's such an interesting power dynamic in that room where the film producer believes that he is the most high status person in that room and robert duvall just sits there quietly takes it all in knowing for a fact that he is more powerful than the producer and just knowing exactly what is going to happen next and there's a sort of sadness to it as well there's sort of resigned okay so we're gonna have to do it that way all right fine about it that i just love um yeah yeah the other side scene that sticks in my mind is after Sonny has been killed he has to go and tell uh, Vito Corleone he has to go and tell the godfather and he he can't do it and he sits there uh, drinking uh, either whiskey or brandy I forget until Vito eventually comes in and has to say and and, and, he, and he's like my wife is crying in one room why don't you tell me what it is you needed to tell me that you couldn't tell me without having all these drinks <laughs> is essentially the crux of it. Tell me what everybody else knows. And I think Robert Duvall in that scene as well is just, just brilliant. It's a a performance that could so easily be overshadowed 
by the more mm. by the louder performances all of which are brilliant but yeah that's that's the one that I that I get drawn to most yeah fair enough I don't really know what more to say about it really <laughs> I just it's one of those where it doesn't matter how many times I watch it mm. I cannot retain the information I just can't oh how interesting I step back from it and appreciate it as a piece of art and fully understand why it's one of the greatest films ever made but mm. I cannot connect to it wow isn't that interesting that is yeah really interesting I completely understand why everyone thinks particularly Godfather and Godfather Part 2 mm. like, I get it I totally get it I only ever put it on because I'm like ah I probably or like maybe this will be the time that I connect to the Godfather <laughs> sure <laughs> I live in hope well may- maybe we'll watch it for the podcast one day and like you'll have to have like a critical eye on it and yeah yeah I also um, and I'm gonna say this knowing full well that maybe people are gonna come for me I've never seen the Godfather Part 2 all the way through oh, really Always fall asleep. (laughs) Sure. It's long. Interestingly... I know it's sort of widely considered to be one of those sequels that is better than the than the originals. For me, part two, it's great, but it's just a little too sprawling when compared to The Godfather, which is so much more a contained story. Yeah, I, I, I find part two slightly less focused. Well, um, we must come to them at some point. Before we come to them, though, you have to give me your number two. So do that. <laughs> I will. It's Helena Bonham Carter as Marla Singer. Oh, how interesting. My God. I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. I just, I think she's fucking amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful character to begin with, but the way she plays her is just like, I just uh, want her to be on screen all the time. Mm. I wanted to, I want, I could just watch her potter about being Marla Singer. Yeah, I'm with it. She's fucking iconic. She's so beautiful, so disgusting, so mm. messy, so raw, so fucked up. Mm-hmm. She's got some amazing lines. She's messy. I don't really know what else to say about her, but you know. Yeah, I love that actually. Yeah, no, and it, it's a little bit of an atypical performance for her as well, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she is sort of messy in it, but she mm. feels more grounded than she often does. I, I think. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think she's great. Well, I think it's really interesting for her especially in terms of her career she'd come from period drama she'd been a kind of English rose kind of innocent English rose in loads of period drama Um, and then suddenly here she was playing Marla Singer who is I mean I I think Marla Singer is one of the most iconic characters in films and I do think that maybe being in that film changed the trajectory of the rest of her career and Mm. she without question she has a little niche for herself as a bit of an oddball now and I think Marla Singer has got a lot to do with that yeah sort of transition I could just wang on about how I think she's amazing, but there it is. So yeah, uh, before I reveal my number one, which I sort of revealed already on the um, what film were we talking about? The, the graduate, graduate, the Graduate podcast. I kind of revealed then what my favourite performance is, but I'll keep you in some suspense until then. Uh, yeah, a few honourable mentions before we come on to that from my shortlist: Rafe Fiennes in the Grand Budapest Hotel, Kathy Bates in Misery, the triumvirate from Pleasantville of Jeff Daniels Joan Allen and William H. Macy are all wonderful in that film Bill Murray in Ghostbusters Catherine Hepburn in Bringing Up Baby Paul Giamatti in Sideways uh, Will, Will Smith in Independence Day yeah, Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive that could very easily have made it on as could Boris Karloff in Frankenstein and Ed Harris in The Truman Show those are just some snippets from my shortlist they're all wonderful performances that I love very much really really interesting mm. and uh, some there that I absolutely had on my shortlist as well and some that I wouldn't have even thought of so that's really interesting <laughs> would you like some of mine 
Go on him. Sam Rockwell in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce Campbell in Evil Dead 2. Oh, yeah. Kathleen Byron playing Sister Ruth in Black Narcissus. Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen in Candyman. Yes. I think I think they're both amazing. Um, Jane Russell in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Robert Mitchum in The Night of the Hunter. And everyone in Gosford Park. <laughs> <laughs> There isn't a single bad performance in that. It, in fact, uh, one of the characters, it's really clever because you think he's being really shit at acting at mm-hmm. first and then it turns out he was being shit at acting and that was part of the plot. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> and as you were saying there, I was like, oh yeah, no, Kathy Bates in Misery. Oh yeah, there's so many that could have been. We should revisit this in a year and see if our opinions have changed. <laughs> yeah, we de- yeah, we definitely need to revisit it. Shall I do some suspense music? Oh, go on then. Do-do. Do-do. <laughs> Ed, what's your number one? I feel feel like I'm on who wants to be a millionaire. (laughs) My my number one uh, favourite screen performance of all time is Edward Woodward as Sergeant Howie in The Wicker Man. Hear ye the words of the Lord! Awake ye heathens! And howl! It is the Lord who hath laid waste your orchards! Reverence the sacrifice. Because the truth is withered away from the sons of men. Um, And I just just love it. And what I love most about it is how few fucks he gives about trying to make Sergeant Howie at all likeable. It's so bold to play this sort of doomed protagonist who you want to sort of feel for at the end and just have him be quite as obnoxious as he is because he comes onto that island and he throws his weight around everywhere Mm. he's so judgmental of these people he's so rigid in his in his um in his christian Mm. beliefs and the whole time because of these flaws because of this sort of self-righteousness and judgmentalness if judgmentalness is a word uh, which i'm not convinced <laughs> it is judgmentality yeah, yes yes thank you um, <laughs> he is trapped and he gets more and more trapped as it goes on and it just makes what happens mm. to him inevitable and what happens to him is so horrible that you can't help but feel for him in those last moments in a mm. kind of oh my God, this is awful, ah, kind of way. While at the same time, at no point while watching the film, are you supposed to feel any warmth towards him? And I think that is a real credit to Edward Woodward's commitment to making this real sort of honest, truthful, grounded, believable character. Yeah. Uh, yeah, It's it's just, it is, for me, it is the absolute sort of apex of of acting. I I just, I love it. It's the moment right at the end where you see him lose his faith. Oh, God, There is a moment where you see it happen. Yeah. And that, I mean, how, how on earth do you... Yeah. Do you replicate that? I, I, yeah, he's just yeah, and he's from then phenomenal. he's he's screaming and shouting, "Oh God, oh Jesus Christ!" Like he's he, he's desperate for for that for that yeah. faith to come back to him and for yeah. for God to return to him and to yeah yeah to help him do. And he's sort of praying desperately when he's inside that wicker man. And, yeah. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right. I want your best um, impression of him saying, "Oh God, oh Jesus Christ." <laughs> Oh God! Oh, oh Jesus Christ! Oh God! Oh, that was that was really really good. Thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna have a go. Hang on. Oh God! 
Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, God! Oh, Jesus Christ! Oh, my God! Christ! And that music. Oh, oh it's fabulous. Go then. I don't want to be in suspense yeah. anymore. What's your number one? Do, 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 do. <laughs> Bit of Hans Zimmer. Bwah. Bwah. <laughs> My favourite screen performance of all time ever is Michelle Pfeiffer as Selena Kyle slash Catwoman in Batman Returns. You poor guys. Always confusing your pistols with your privates. How funny. That that was almost on my shortlist. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I love Michelle Pfeiffer. She's so good in this. She's having the best time. She is unhinged. She's controlled. Mm-hmm. She is sexy. She's hysterical. She's terrifying. Mm-hmm. She's heartbroken. She is living for herself. She's mm-hmm. just, it's, there is so much going on and all of it makes sense. And she yes. commits to it. And it's, um, she's amazing. Yeah, she and Danny DeVito in that movie, they are both having the absolute time of their lives. What I love about it as well, and I think this is in in part due to what she is given to do with the character as well, because she gets to do so much. All of the scenes that she has with Christopher Walken, where she is like his petrified kind of stuttering assistant and her transformation yeah. is so wonderful. And so she kind of, she gets to play all these different characters. She gets to play the Selena Kyle before she's pushed from the window. She gets to play Selena Kyle after she's been pushed from the window. She gets to play Catwoman, who is like mm-hmm. a totally separate character. Mm-hmm. And then she gets the kind of um, towards the end where I love the scene with her and and Michael Keaton where he takes his mask off and she yeah. takes her mask off and they're kind of having this battle about like what do like how do we what do we do with our alter egos so that we can be together and it's like it's just it's wonderful and i think she's so i love the scene at the christmas party where they're dancing and they realize yeah they have the chat about mistletoe don't they yeah they do oh i love that line so much and then they keep dancing and she has that wonderful line does this mean we have to start fighting and she's funny again but yeah she's so great that film was a real kind of seminal film for me growing up more so than the first one for some reason I think maybe I just watched Batman Returns more yeah her portrayal in that film was quite important to me as a as a youth and has continued to be and as an adult and every time I watch it I get more from it I have nothing else to say (laughs) (laughs) no I I absolutely concur with everything you just said Um, hey why are you dressed up like Batman because he is Batman you moron I have loved doing that, but I also found compiling the list extremely stressful. So yes, there is a bit of me that's glad it's over because I don't need to have regret every time someone mentions a character or performance <laughs> that I love that isn't on the list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, presumably we're going to have to do another one now. Yeah. Um. So the way I thought this would work, Ed, is mm-hmm. um, we've got 80 categories to choose from. Obviously, we can keep adding to this list as we go. But for now, I want you to give me a number between two and 80. Okay. 56. Is there any particular reason why you chose number 56? Nope. Um, this is an interesting one, Ed. Um, this is... No, no, no. You've d- it, This is great. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be hard. We, next week, will be running down our top 10 animated movies. Oh, fabulous. It's interesting. That's the one that me and Jem actually already started talking about in this past week. It just sort of... yeah. Oh, a... what? You've got a head start? That's not yeah. fair. <laughs> uh, 
that's not fair, I know, but but it's happened. <laughs> Maybe this week I need to watch some of the films that I've always meant to watch just to see if they would make it onto my list. Interestingly, the new Pixar movie is out on Friday and I'm going to try and see that because oh. I'm fairly sure you know I'm quite a fan of Pixar. Yes, I haven't seen a Pixar film since uh, Inside Out. Oh, wow. So there's quite a lot that I've not seen. Yeah. Ooh, there is at least one post-Inside Out Pixar movie that will be on my top 10 list next week. Okay. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Um, so join us next week on the podcast um, to listen to our discussion on Little Women. Um, and then join us the week after that to hear our rundown of our top 10 favourite animated movies. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode. Ed, happy film watching. Oh, happy film watching to you too. And I will talk next week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.